Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. JJ McKay is today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast. JJ has spent the last two decades helping to build and grow large-scale consumer-focused organizations, both regional and national in scope. In 2016, he founded the Fresh Toast, an award-winning lifestyle and health platform, which partly focuses on making the cannabis conversation mainstream. He has raised millions for a variety of philanthropic causes, including Mary's Place, where he was their longtime chair. He is on the U.S. Bank Board and has served as an advisor and board member to several other companies. McKay is a Southern native and a Seattle socialite. We're putting that in air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Is there such a thing? Maybe there is. Having been referred to as the Pearl Mesta of Seattle. Welcome, J.J. Well, thank you for having me on. It's so good to see you. Good and you to look see you great too. today. That's so sweet. I appreciate the compliment because these jeans, these like wide leg jeans, I'm not, I don't know. I was like, can I pull them off? Darling, as good as you look like that, Aww. the question is how many other people want to pull them off you? <laughs> oh, God, you're so funny. Okay, we're going to start with rapid fire. Are you ready? When are you are. Okay. What was the very first concert that you attended? Beach Boys in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, I love the Beach Boys. I think I was in high school. Nice. What is your favorite city in the whole wide world? That's tough. I'm going to say Paris, but it's starting to be Rome. Rome? I love Rome, followed by New Orleans. You're not saying New York? No. Oh, okay. I thought you would definitely say Paris. I'm surprised by New Orleans. Paris is an issue. I love Paris, and I always wanted to retire to Paris. Yeah. But for someone who doesn't speak French, and I yeah. get, and I have a lot of French fr- Parisian friends, but when you don't speak French, there's a small expat community, and it's like moving back to a small town. Yeah, I spent a one year where I was there a ton, gave a cocktail party, a couple of dinners. Yeah, and I wound up seeing a lot of the same people over and over again. And I'm yeah. like, this is a big city, and I'm seeing too many of the same people at the same time. Right, that makes sense. Um, okay, what is a habit that you are trying to break? You don't drink coffee too much, so that's not one. That's a big one for me. I would say I probably, that's a good question. It's a hard one, right? I probably need to exercise more. So, the habit, I enjoy you're trying to, so the, habit, the habit you're trying to break is sleeping in? No, I think it's just restructuring because my day starts at 530 Ugh. in the morning, and I spend 530 to 8 kind of working with our East Coast partners and coming up with editorial and all that sort of stuff. And I'm a morning person, mm-hmm. and so I really can't work out in the afternoon. And so it's so figuring some type of balance where I can do some type of exercise in the morning. Yeah. Because if I take a class, it's an hour and a half commitment. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. What is the most popular strain of weed? The most popular strain of weed is whatever helps you sleep, because that's the number one reason that medical people want it. Ah. And strains, while everybody talks about it, you can always rely on that. It's usually, it's more of what type of product you're going to do. And the number one product use is still a joint. Joints are the number one sellers. Yeah. Um, 
What have you read, listened to, or watched that's had a most profound effect on your life? So when I was in college, I read In All His Glory, which is the biography of Bill Paley, who built CBS, also married to Babe Paley, who I love and is also an idol of mine. But it talked about how he went on to build CBS, even though he was a deeply flawed man. But what made him exceptional is he understood his flaws and always built Realize he realized, look, I'm not perfect. Here's what I'm really good at, and I need help doing the rest of the stuff, mm-hmm. and always had that system with him. That's amazing, and I think that that is such a sign of a good leader, right? Surround yourself with people who are strong where you're weak. I've, I've been very lucky to work with some amazing people. Yeah. Well, it's good. I want to hear more about your strengths and weaknesses. We'll talk about that. I know you're Mr. Fashionista, so who's your favorite fashion designer? Dolce. Still always. Yes. Vintage Cavalli, because I look fabulous on Vintage Cavalli. But I love Dolce. Dolce's fun. Yeah. And I well, like stuff fun. that's fun. What about Versace? That's a little too fun. Too fun. Yeah. You know, I'm from the Old South. I like a little pop without being over the top. Yeah. What about a little prep? Oh, yeah. I could do prep. I just prep in the summer a lot, you know. Yeah. Cute shorts. Not a whale belt. No. But like cute shorts and like a pink shirt. Or like I just got some coral shorts and to go with like a little white linen shirt mm-hmm. would be super cute. And like super little cute. green Hadleys to go with them. Love, 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 love. Well, your glasses are cool and your jewelry is cool. It's too bad. You really have a um, a face and a style not for podcasts, but more for like TV. People well, you should know, I've see always you. heard I had a, a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite, actually. Well, it was my friend Dietrich Seeger who used to run part of Tiffany's across America who taught me to wear jewelry and drink Bloody Marys. Both have been a downhill ski- slope ever since. <laughs> but you don't drink Bloodies. You just drink straight vodka, right? No, I'll drink Bloodies. I mean, that's a bloodies morning are drink. Like, bloodies are like a meal. They're like a salad. It's healthy. It is healthy, and but if it's you're so gonna filling. Drink on a, if you drink on a plane, that's the number one thing you should drink. And you know why that is? Because of all the salt? The salt. You don't get dehydrated. So you could, if you could drink Bloody Mary and water, Bloody Mary and water, you wind up not being dehydrated. Oh, okay. Well, I'm flying on Saturday. I, I will... Uh, Take that tip. I appreciate it. Um, Okay, so we're getting to it. And I'm glad that you haven't listened to the podcast because um, I can just dive deep with you and and we'll let it rip. So you're from the Deep South. I feel like I can hear your accent like stronger than ever in the podcast. Where in the Deep South are you from? So our family is from next to Pensacola, which is about an hour east of Mobile. We've been there since time began. And what was it like there? I've literally never been to that area. So growing up, we were we we're an old, small-town, southern family. Um, everybody knew us. We knew everybody. And my mother said, you know, if you don't want people to talk about you, don't do anything for them to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And McKay's uh, Irish? Oh, that's another story for it. Well, uh, tell me. We're on my, the podcast. So it's my father's father and uh-huh. sister were killed right before he was born. And he was Austrian and last name is Oberlander. And then his mother made a second marriage so my father had some half sibling or has ha- had se- half siblings okay and, and so... so he came south to become a marine pilot after a stint of wanting to become a priest a catholic priest wow and came south met my mother in an officer club dance so a real officer these of the these, thing. Like, stories and they fell madly in love and eloped they eloped and so um and, you know, and everybody loved my father because it was very strong and very funny. Do you have siblings? Uh, then, like my father lost his sister and his father, I lost my sister and my father shortly uh, before I was born. You lost your sister My and sister your died a year before me, and then my father was killed the day I was born. 
I read that, and I have to say, when I read that, I my mouth kind of dropped because that's got to be something that has been a big definer of how you see your life. Well, my mother had six tragic deaths in five years, so she lost another child with her second husband. Um, her brother was killed in a tragic car accident. Her best friend died while in the hospital after giving birth. That when I was still in the hospital, she had leukemia and never came out of the hospital. I mean, wow. she had some other. And so, is your mom still alive? No, my mother has. She's been called home. But she really was a victim personality and never fully recovered for that. And But she was, if she was at a party or at an event, she was so much fun. I mean, 10 times more fun than I am with no drive. (laughs) But at home, that sadness would get to her. Mm. And it taught me that every ev- out of every day, I find joy every day. Mm-hmm. I find something ever, to laugh at. Do you have a ritual around that? Like a lot of there's a, the word gratitude is thrown around so much right now. Like gratitude um, practice. You know, waking up every morning and writing out your three things you're grateful for. Are you prescriptive about it, or it's just kind of part of who you are? It's kind of part of who I am. And I've I've had a lot of partners who. Uh, sometimes I get a little annoyed because I tend to wake up generally happy, like humming and singing with a little song in my head and happy little bebopping. Yeah, it's a person. DNA thing. It is a DNA thing. How old were you? And when I you wake realized... up when I wake up. I wake up. You wake up. <laughs> you lucky. Oh yeah. My husband and I always hit um, snooze, and he was just told literally like a month ago, like why would you hit snooze? Then you have to wake up twice, and you don't like to wake up. Like you like to sleep, and I'm like that's so true. And so we've stopped, and it. It does help, although I need my coffee and, like, a hot washcloth on my face to wake up. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I can't wake up very well. I love to sleep. I wake up and I'm just... Bebop. And years ago, I went drinking with Heloise from Hints from Heloise. Okay. Do you know who that is? Yeah. So... That's, like, old school. You're dating yourself. All new Hints from Heloise? Like, the the book? She was at some... Yeah, she was public speaking. Well, one, she was a lot older. (laughs) And no one asked... She was there and she got done and we were chatting and... She's just looking around. I'm like, um, what are you doing now? And she's like, nothing. I'm like, do you want to have lunch? And she's like, I would love to. How nice is that? So she was 70 and I was 36. But we went to lunch and she was hilarious. But the thing that she taught me that I do is whenever, you know, with her husband, she said she gets up every morning, brushes her hair, puts on lipstick, and brushes her teeth and crawls back in bed. So when he rolls over, she looks great. And I have done that. You put on your lipstick and brush I put your on hair? A little, I, put, I brush my hair, brush my teeth, and put on a little gloss. gloss. So when they roll over and want to make a kiss, there it is. And some people have said that's wrong, but, you know, she'd been married for 40 years. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's a, life's about compromise. I always want to look my best. Yeah. When and, you always and you do want look someone to best. open. And when you want someone to open their eyes, you know, like my mother said, you want them to fall in love with you all over again. And so I'm sure you haven't had partners who have done the same. Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, they're like... But of course, I've had some partners who just naturally wake up beautifully. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And so was your family... You said your dad was going to be a priest. So was your family religious? Uh, We're old school Methodists. (laughs) And what does that mean? We're mainstream uh, Protestant domination. Mm -hmm. So middle of the road. My father wasn't particularly Catholic. My mother wasn't particularly religious. But she had deep faith. I have deep faith. Um, Right before I moved here, I was the number two and the largest... Methodist uh, church in the region. So I had 50-some committees. We had the TV, the Sunday TV show, the whole day. Wow. And I still have faith. I pray every day. That's amazing. I feel like that's, um, I just was reading something where, 
like today religion is associated with like people try to kind of downplay their religion. Do you find that? Um, you know, it was an incredible shock to me when I moved to Seattle. I'd never met an atheist. And I moved out here with, you know, somebody. And the woman who cut our hair was an atheist. And I was so shocked. And he got in the car because he would always just love to pay. He's like, well, maybe it's God's way of saying you need to convert her. <laughs> and I said, that's not my job. Yeah, you're like, that is not my job. That is not my but job. But it taught me to really open up a lot of you know, open up. It, it broadened my horizon. But at the end of the day, what I hear people who don't have faith all wanting to have faith. And everyone has faith in some capacity. Yeah. It just shows, it just shows up in different ways. And it doesn't necessarily have to come through physically walking through the doors of a church or a synagogue. or It can just be within. And you can have your faith shaken. I mean, everybody has their faith sh- shaken at some point. Well, yeah. Especially, I mean, today's day and age, it's like... Well, I grew up in a very... Um, you know, we were all white. The only black people who ever we knew worked for us. We we were all very heterosexual Protestant. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody. And then when I was in middle school, I read the diary of Anne Frank and really understood the horror that man can inflict on each other. But that's on a big scale. But at the smaller scale, it's just not being nice to people. Yeah, just the basic and, human kindness. And my mother taught me everyone has a soul and everyone deserves for you to treat them with dignity. I love your mom. Your mom sounds amazing, I have to say. I know that you've described her a little bit like a a victim, but also she must have been pretty strong to to raise such a strong son. I mean, she she was a, a more hands off. More hands off. Yeah. So, and as she said right before she died, my being a hands off mother created the person you are today. And to her credit, and she's it's like, true. Mic drop, and my job, <laughs> and my job is done. And it's true. Yeah, that makes sense. And so how old were you when you realized that you were gay? I was, I don't know, seven or eight, and I was watching The Dukes of Hazard, and all my friends are talking about Daisy Duke, and I'm thinking the same thing about Luke Duke. And was Luke, is what it was is. Luke the, the John Schneider? Oh, no, the dark-haired. Thank Tom goodness, because I was never blonde. I, yeah, I love that guy. <clears throat> you know, I say I'm not a blonde person, but I've dated a lot of, I dated girls who are blondes, and I've dated boys who are blondes. So, um, I, yeah, I read that you didn't come out till you were in your mid-30s, which seems like a long time to live we were an old family so what were you afraid when of? i was in high school and college or in college and out of college i would be in the paper and the society columns yeah so you get caught up did your family have money we were old landed family what does that mean that means that at one point we had money oh and okay. my mother quickly spent her portion of it okay uh, but we were respected and known and so you were afraid to kind of hurt the family's name well you would, that be, a, would that be a you big thing it. if you had said, oh, hey, I'm going to be this, come out of the closet? Well, as time went by, my mother's biggest concern was, you know, that I was happy. Yeah. So. Were you able to be happy living as a straight man? You know, I look on today's world and I look at my personality because I'm a big personality and I'll come back to that in a second. I'm a big personality and it was probably best for me because people who were in my generation where I grew up who turned out gay turned out to have really messy lives because people kind of made, um, shunned a, them. No, AIDS. Um, oh. It became defining who they were. Mm. They all became super rebellious. Mm. Um, it was a really difficult time for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, what ultimately made you decide in your mid thirties? Did you get ever marry a woman? Early thirties. Early. No, 30s. I was engaged. Okay. What was the catalyst that made you decide finally? You know, some days you just get up and you think, this is who I want to kiss. Yeah. 
No, but, oh, you had never even kissed anyone. Well, but you know what I mean. Oh. And no, not really. I hadn't really, until I decided wow. I'm going to do this. And so how did your mom respond? Well, we didn't, t- you know, we're from the South. Yeah. We don't talk about unpleasant things. So we you just still haven't? It, but I brought a boy home for four years. Okay. And she just was never spoken about? We built a, we stopped Christmas until he got there one year. Wow. We okay. just all make things nice. Everything's just nice with a little bow. And so what There's just to, not a reason brought, to make a scene. What brought you to Seattle? Um, I was successful. I'd started at the Heart Association. I was really successful in the in the South. Mm-hmm. And I was on the right boards. I knew the right people. I had a fabulous holiday party. And I thought, if I'm here when I'm 35 or 40, I'm going to go crazy. What was here? If I was in Panama. I was based out of Panama City, Florida. Yeah. So I wanted to move to the Northeast. I was attracted to guys from the Northeast. It's also one of the, it's most dynamic. But I'd always, thanks to NPR and PRI, um, Seattle is always the most educated, in the top two educated and the top two most well-read. And I'm a voracious reader. So I picked this, I picked this as a pit stop to move out here because I thought go from a small southern town to Seattle and then Seattle somewhere else. Did you know people here? Mm-mm, didn't know us all. So what... Um, I didn't know us all when I moved to Panama City. So I was... I'm the same. Like I moved to two cities, San Francisco and New York. When I say not knowing a soul, I mean kind of knowing a few people but not having rooted friends. I didn't know us friends. all. So what was the first step and how did you get settled? I guess um, I was telling you as we were starting the podcast, I don't really have an agenda aside from hanging out and spending time with you. But I do think that these are lessons that for people like you and me, we take for granted that that's like a thing that we would do. Pick up, move to a city where we don't know anybody and create very um, well-respected lives and very fulfilling lives. What was the first step? Well, I think we have to go back to how I was raised. My great-grandmother taught me idle hands are the devil's workshop and idle minds are the devil's playground and that you need to give back. So I've always given back. I've always volunteered. I've always, you know, raised money because if you're going to raise money, you you can't be afraid of asking. Um, My mother was always open hand. Well, if you're hungry, come stay for dinner. If you don't know anybody, why don't you come do with us? Mm. which our family was, my grandmother wasn't like that, but my mother was. And so I was invited so people, people over. through that. So, and you know, you go and you're nice and you're always, my mother said, you'd be a good guest. Unless you're allergic to it, you eat and you ask for seconds and you go on and on about it. Um, and she taught me how to be a really good guest. Mm-hmm. And I and read then, that she was in the junior league and that that's where you feel like you got your kind of My social... mother was, was a, uh, was the epitome of very gracious and would teach me how to be be gracious. And that was one of the few times as a, as I was up a little older, you know, over 10, that I got, you know, smacked was for not being kind to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also the South. You're, you're always really nice to people. Mm-hmm. And you know how people come here and they talk about the Seattle freeze? Oh, so when I came here, there was this... experience that? Oh, yeah. But, uh, and then I gave my first dinner party here and I invited some people, from, uh, somebody from work. And... This woman spent the whole party telling me how I was doing it wrong about how we don't do big dinner parties. Everyone just hangs in the kitchen and cooks together. It was the antithesis of what I didn't I'd know grown that up that with. was a thing. I didn't know there was a right and wrong and way. And so when she left, I was just all, almost in tears. Like it was just so miserable. And my partner was like, "Just get over it." And I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna be me. Yeah. You do you. Yeah. I'll be me. Yeah. And so I would, and people now in here in New York or in Paris, I'm like, let's have lunch. Do you want yeah. to have lunch next week? And people are like, really? Yeah. And it's funny because 
I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago, Phyllis Campbell, who you know is head of U.S. Bank, I mean, um, J.P. Morgan, formerly U.S. Bank, then Seattle Foundation, now J.P. Morgan, said that Seattle can be very provincial. Mm, totally. And that once you are successful in one area, until you do develop a national footprint, it's hard for you to get that recognition in another area. So I went on and built a national footprint, and I, you know, my second most visited city or stay in and I'm most prominent in is in New York. Um, but what I see with some friends is they have what I call party circuit friends. Mm. They see each other one night a week at a party or an event or an opening or play, but they really don't spend time to have one-on-one lunch or three, you know, three people together and really talk. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I like to do. If, if I think you're really interesting, I want to spend some time. I want to know who you are. And that makes our snippets at a party. Do you want party. to know what fuels you? I want to know what fuels them. I do. <laughs> Hello, this is selfish for me. I get to know. That's what we're doing right now. But that's We just thing. don't have any food. Or drink. Or drink. I should have done that. I just listened to Alex Baldwin's. Um, do you ever listen to podcasts? No. He has. He has an amazing Because I'm a voracious reader. And oh. I read like 15 news sources every day. Okay, we need to talk about that because I'm not a voracious reader. But um, Alec Baldwin had uh, Barbara Streisand on. And she, in the middle of the podcast, I'm like, this is so perfect. She's at her house and she's got help. And she's like, can we get some miso soup? And she's like, <laughs> into the into the podcast. I'm like, you know you're Barbara Streisand and Alec Baldwin when you're literally slurping soup. And I'm telling people to like, careful, don't touch your hands or your drinks. So next time we'll have drinks. Oh, that sure. sounds we'll fine. vodka or Whatever. Or bubbles. Or bubbles. Champs. Because it's always a celebration to be around you. Well, it's a celebration to be to wake up, right? I, I, look, I'm a big believer morning. of that. No, I agree. I agree. Okay, getting back to what we're talking about. I'm ADD. So, oh, voracious reader. So what do you like to read? So when I was, so my grandmother lived on the family property that her brother ran. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there'd been a death. So anyway, my mother was at a party and my grandmother was busy. Any, long story short, I was left with my great aunt and uncle. And my great aunt is nothing short of a saint. My great uncle, not a saint. Um, but here it is. It's like a fall night and there's literally nothing for me to do. So I picked, and I'm five. So I picked a book of, which was their kids' books. I picked a copy of The Bobsy Twin and started reading that. Mm. And when you're by yourself a lot in a big piece of property where your nearest neighbor's a half a mile away, yeah. reading makes a, you know, it's storming, it's a yeah. night. Your creativity is through, like, living through these books. Yes. So you said you're a voracious reader. And so what, you said you read 15 publications. Well, for well, I've always been a big business junkie. So I read, you know... Thanks to the modern era of push products, you know, I see the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, uh, Apple, Fox, uh, Bustle, Daily Mail. What do you like to read about if you were doing like Flipboard and covering subjects? I do news, business, retail, politics. Yeah. Business is a huge thing. Some lifestyle, Mm -hmm. some culture. Yeah. Um, Health, you know, health and wellness because we're expanding for as a company, we're expanding into that. Yeah. And so um, if if you're kind of in the C-suite in a company, what's your kind of ninja skill? Like, who are you in that group? Usually it's the chief business officer. So you're the one who's thinking of strategy. So are you a strong operator or you're more kind of uh, the big picture? I'm a builder. You're a builder. I'm not as much of a big picture as I am a builder. So I mean, I'm a big picture. Partnerships. Um, partnerships, understanding what it's going to do, to understanding what it can generate, mm-hmm. 
uh, understanding our position in the market and to be able to take market share. Mm-hmm. Um, I never actually thought I would be a CEO. Are you a strong um, leader? I, that, I've been told. And so do you like to manage people? Uh, that has been, um, I do, I'm okay. I, I'm not opposed to managing people. Mm-hmm. I do best when I have a strong team. Mm-hmm. And if you're a weak player, I tend to. So it's like kind of like, you. here's my ideas, and then I need to be surrounded by people who can execute my ideas properly. You know, that's how I used to be. Mm-hmm. And then I had an amazing staff person who went on and be very successful, Meredith Mortensen, who is fabulous. Big shout out. Um, and we were doing a plan one day as a group to move to the next level. And she said, that's a good plan. And I stopped and said, so what's going to make it a great plan? She says, we haven't got to the level of implementation, so we know exactly what we need to do and what our benchmarks are. And that, that I thought was brilliant on her part because she was 26. But on the on the flip side, it also taught me that everyone wants a part of that success and that sometimes you need to figure it out and give them that ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the lessons I learned early on is with staff is I always say with new staff, you get 10 mistakes. I'm not going to be upset to you. You've gone through your 10 mistakes. Wow. As, 10's a lot. As long as you own the mistake and then come to me with the solution. Yeah. So staff would come, oh. Oh, yeah, I can't believe you, I've, you, I've done this. We've got to figure this out. I'm like, okay, what's the solution? Oh, you don't understand how bad it is. I'm, I'm pretty clear. You yeah. made it pretty clear how bad it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's the solution? I'm like, well, why don't you go and once you're fin- finished wringing your hands, come back with a solution. Yeah. Then they'd come back. They'd, I'm like, okay, well, what if you do this and there, add this and this and that? And most people make three big mistakes and then they settle in. But people have to make mistakes in order to, in order to grow. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. And after their three mistakes, it would give them the self-confidence that they can take small enough risks, but it would also give them self-confidence in their uh, solution-solving skills. Yeah. So little mistakes became almost negligible to them. Because yeah. a lot of people become so freaked out over solving little mistakes yeah. that they fixate on mistakes and not successes. Right. And then they, it's hard for them to innovate if they're afraid the whole time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that Which totally is, makes sense. It, but you also have to understand 80% of the people... You know, we, everyone likes to think of themselves as phenomenal. And everybody is special in their own way. But some people just want a job that they work eight hours and oh, go yeah. home Especially and do something else. in Seattle. Else. I've realized that the one thing I can't teach is drive. The other things you can't teach is either you're a salesman or you're not. Yeah. And that includes fundraisers. We, you know, I've been the chairman of Mary's Place. I've helped them raise. How like did you choose Mary's Place? Um, I'll tell that story in a minute. But I've, You wanted me to get this down to 15 minutes, which is hilarious. We could have done it in two sessions. So people come to me and like, I want to be a fundraiser. Do you li-? And I ask, first question, do you like to raise money? I'm a relationship person. I'm like, you didn't answer my question. I believe you need to build a holistic relationship before you ask for money. I'm like, not disagreeing with that. But at the end of the day, do you like to ask money? And, and they usually fight for three or four minutes, and then they admit they don't want to raise money. And I said, you're not a fundraiser. Then. So I can tell you that um, I get asked all the time to run charities and fundraisers and and ask people for money. And I want you to be the membership, the this, the that. I'm like, I know myself. I, I'm not good at that. I don't like to do it at all. And then they'll go, no, but you're not asking for you. You're asking for the organization. It's different. I'm like, I still don't like to do it. And then I realize... Maybe it's because I have to do it for work. I have to when I'm asking for business, or that if I didn't do anything, you just I was, burn out of asking. That I think maybe, or it's just like I don't want someone to run for me at a cocktail party, because, you know, 
the recruiter has that reputation of like being, I don't ask for business and I don't want to ask for money. If it happens organically, great. Well, you have to... I'm good at putting together tables at things yeah. and, and providing exposure to organizations, but I don't want to be the actual um, fundraiser. I don't mind asking, yeah. but you also have That's to ask. A skill. You have to ask in a. Um, you have to be holistic in your asking in regards to. I, that's what I can't, I can't be doing it all the time, just ask. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the reason up until I started the Fresh Toast, I entertained so much. Because mm -hmm. I would have so many parties, so many dinners, that Do I would you meet cook? so many people. Oh, yeah, I can cook. So you're at these parties, you're catering them or you're cooking? Uh, for dinners, I, I make the dinner. Wow. I mean, it's only for 12. It's not like it's for 40. I know, but. And then for my holiday party, I cook half and then I cater in the other half. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, you got to spend time where when people don't see you, they don't think, ooh. Do yeah. I need to bring my ch my credit card? Yeah. <laughs> you got your little square set up with your computer. You're like, just swipe it on your way out. So, and, you know, I chaired the 50th anniversary of Seattle Center's birthday party, 23,000 people. Um, it took me a year at a committee of 100 who all worked, which is exceptional. Um, and at the end of that, I'd used up every chit. So I, I, I left the opera board and said, okay, I've got two years where I can't, I don't have any other favors out in the community. Yeah. You have to decide. How do you vet, um, you know, what to get involved in? Well, you know, now that I'm in my mid to later 40s, shall we say, um, it's really you get, you know, the majority of people get involved because a friend asks. Mm -hmm. Mary's Place, I got involved because I saw it and then I learned it, it was my own little journey with them. Mm -hmm. And that was my own passion. But almost everything else has been with someone's ass. But it. It has to be something that I feel passionate about. Mm -hmm. I is as I've gotten older, as I have no desire to raise money for something I'm not. It, that's not my thing. Of course not. Like There's I did education when I was young. I raised a ton of money for education. I served on a state blue ribbon committee for education to help improve education. Done with that. Education not my thing. Mm -hmm. So, what's your thing in the future? Do you think? Well, I think I will always be part of the homeless situation mm -hmm. because it's so misunderstood. And it's so not particularly well run from the government side. Have you done anything with United Way? Uh, when I was younger. Oh, I was very involved in United Way when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I'm on the um, leadership something something, leadership council. And I love their yeah. new executive director. Yeah. Gordon is fabulous. Yeah. Um, I love heritage. You know, uh, preservation of our heritage is really important. And then I believe humanities, the, the arts, arts education is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, preserving like the SOB, Symphony Opera ballet. Yeah. So which do you think of all these roles has positioned you best for your most current endeavor in business? Oh, you fresh mean me toast. starting the Fresh yeah. Toast, the largest and most trusted voice in cannabis? The most trusted voice in cannabis. And the largest. And the largest, yeah. Um, Understanding partnerships, mm -hmm. understanding, really understanding the consumer, listening to so many people, whether you're a cafeteria worker or CEO, is really understanding consumer behavior, how we how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. Um is really important. Well, I love that. And, and then I, I understand media, of course. You do understand media, but I also wanted to ask you, um, I read that it was kind of like wanting to make it mainstream, like talking about vodka or you said, it says lattes or aspirin, and I completely agree, but I don't think we're there. Like if, if 10 is like, oh yeah, it's like vodka, lattes, or aspirin, where are we? We're probably at five. Yeah, I would say that's exactly and right. So Even you have in, to, it, you it have depends to where you are, it. Mobile, Alabama, or Seattle. Different conversation. Well, the latest survey said two-thirds of America would use it. Would also, use it or do use would it? Would use it okay. if it was federally legal. So you have to separate in two categories. In regards to aspirin, 
marijuana can help with a lot of illnesses yes. and pains and all that sort of stuff. But we still, as a majority, want doctors to say it's safe. And that's why we work with 80% of America's doctors, helping them understand what it can do, what it can't do, and what there's need more research and more development to do. Mm-hmm. So that's one side. Then the other side, it's like beer and wine. Let's right. use that example. Right. Most people don't even talk about beer. Right. Um, because it's so part of who they are, and they still want to be an intoxicant. The number one intoxicant in the United States is Bud Light. More pe- if, if you had one thing that people were going to drink and get drunk, it's Bud Light. That's mm-hmm. the number one selling beer. I love Bud Light. I'm not, I don't but drink But people beer. don't talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, what does Bud Light show? We want something that's decently tasting with a good price. It's not the best. And when it comes to wine, people who are true wine aficionados and only drink really great wines will still have a cheap wine at a bar mitzvah, a wedding, or a reception. That's a $5, and then they'll bitch about it, but they'll still have three glasses. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand the common denominator and... Weed will wind up being to alcohol what water was to soda. It will be another branch of it all. It won't be a standalone. What about the people that, you know, there's people that if you just straight up said, and we could do it in our um, rapid fire, like weed or alcohol, quick, on your toes, which one? Uh, Well, from a health point of view, it should be weed. Right, but I'm saying most people know their answer. Most people that know the answer to both. But you have to understand, in the legal industry, the legal industry is the same size as Subway sandwiches. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. The legal industry makes about $10.3 billion. Subway sandwiches make ten point seven. What is that? I'm not following. So the industry isn't that big. The legal industry isn't that big. Oh, there's legal not a, weed. Legal weed. It's oh, just that they don't have like that the biggest, legal, yeah. there's that, that biggest of a reach. And we, you know, it was Whole Foods problem. We like buying everything in one-stop shop. We yes. go to Kroger. We go to Publix. We go to Fairway. Yes. And we can get whatever we need. I love you and we say can Fairway. Buy. We could buy beer, we could buy soda, we could buy aspirin, we could buy yes. um, whatever. Whatever. We're not big on going to, except for wine, for a certain portion, but we're not really big going to one store to buy one thing. You know, there's, I think in Seattle, there's one beer store. Mm. There's not a tequila store where you only buy well, tequila. Well, there's the wine, the wine shop. and There the, are wine yeah. shops, but the majority of wine is bought in the grocery store. Hmm. And the largest retailer of wine in the world is Costco. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. So and so, what's the business model? How are you making money for on us, this business? Yeah, we're the largest. So we're a two. We are on two sides of the house. Side one is digital. So we create the most content. We create the most cannabis, medical marijuana, and CBD content. And then we run it on our own site, but we syndicate it out to newspapers across the United States and Canada. So we have about two million people seeing our content every day. In Canada, we about twenty eight percent of all marijuana stories read are our stories. And then we have a link and we work with our partners and we'll be rolling out a directory for those newspapers and we do a rev share. So we'll directly compete with Weed Maps. Got it. And then on the other side of the house, we're an exclusive medical marijuana partner for the largest healthcare training system in the country. They work with about uh, 1.7 million healthcare professionals who have opted in. And of that, they have 800,000 doctors, which represents 80% of the doctors and the practicing doctors in the United States. And we work with them, and then we sell into that system also. Got it. And so how much of your content is around education, well, like weed education? Because I read, I don't know if you coined these terms, but I love them, the canna curious, canna newbie. Are yeah. these new terms? 
that I well, just we did for heard. our industry. We came out with those in six. Those are fantastic. But you understand because how many people like what's the percentage of canna curious? Because when it became legal here, I had a few friends who had like never smoked, and they're like, "Oh, maybe I'll try it now." I'm like, "Wait, so we're like almost fifty, and you've never smoked weed? And you're going to try it now?" I was just curious why, and they're like, "Well, it's legal." I'm like, "That's just fascinating to that's me." That's America, and wow. that's what people are, and it's actually better for your body. So. You know, there's not a people don't want to be educated. People don't like that. That's not America. People wants to watch and observe. We want Top Chef. We want drama. We want so the stories that do really well is how to get stoned without smoking it, how to come down from a high, five ways for a better night's sleep, four ways to improve your sex life. That's what we do, and that represents fifty percent of our content. Mm-hmm. I know there have been a lot of women making weed products geared toward women because it's still got that. Slight connotation of like the stoner that's like not classy. So the women, if you want my opinion. Yes, I want your opinion. The women who are trying to own the women's market Mm -hmm. aren't going to be successful. Because? Because right now there's no L'Oreal. There's no Budweiser. You have three key areas. Everyone wants to be the stoner's bro. You know, the thunder F type of stuff. Right. And that market is shrinking because more and more people aren't buying that. Yeah. Then the majority of people want to go with a Fairwinds. Do you know Fairwinds, which is a big phrase here, or Magic Kitchen, or there's all these brands around the middle, which is geared for the person, which are the Bud Light, Mm. the Heinz, the- Yeah, um, mainstream. Hershey's. Yeah. And then- all these who want to go either high end, like we want to be the Vuv or the Krug or the yeah. Ferrari, or we, the, we want to be the woman's brand. The Four Seasons the, Lovely. The market yeah. isn't mature enough for that to happen. Well, except for what about the existing people who smoke or ingest marijuana in some way that are just consumers of packaged goods? Like, for example, if you see marijuana and it says something like... Do you like, know the biggest driver to the purchases? It, the name? No. What? Same as in wine. The labeling? Oh, the money. Price. Really? Biggest One of the biggest movers in the wine industry in the last six years, two-buck Chuck. People want something like Bud Light that tastes okay, but is reasonably priced. Really? Why, do you, why are you surprised? Well, I might just not be the demographic that we're talking about. And yet you like Bud Light. Well, I'll drink Bud Light, I'm not a, but I'm not a beer person. That's like a bad example. So what do you like to drink? I like to drink tequila. But I honestly don't know much about, like my husband knows about. And so I'll just look at him and be like, what do I, what should I order? I, when I'm ordering wine, honestly, I look at like the package. Which is the number two. Yeah, like I. I but it's I, hard to look at the package in stores. So, but price is always the generator. Mm-hmm. I've spent the last year and a half speaking a lot of alcohol and restaurant conventions, Vibe, Marriott, Flavors, et cetera, the Wine Educator Society of America. And what you see is most people either order the second and third most expensive or the, or, or the other end, the second or third least expensive. Right. You never ordered the top. You never ordered the bottom. Right. People don't know, so they're just kind of going with, well, I really don't know what I should buy, so here's something I should, here's something that's in the range of what I want to spend. And most people, I know you said the number one seller is uh, joints, but what about nowadays when people are, well, and also the pens. Vapes but number now, two. Vapes number two, but except for now there's all this data that says that that's dangerous or not good for you. If it's illegal and you're buying, for, it's illegal it is, but vaping actually, I mean, every, nothing's good. But by nature, it's better than smoking cigarettes. And by nature, it's better than drinking alcohol. I had a woman come up to me and start getting on to me at a cocktail party about how can I let kids 
smoke joints. I said, one, less than 1% of our readers are kids. She's like, you don't understand. They're not fully formed. And I stopped, looked at her glass of wine. I'm like, if they had to do it over again, alcohol would not be legal. Yeah. And she's like, well, that's totally different. I'm like, why? She said, we've done this for generations. I'm like, and still not good for you. And people die from alcohol overdoses yeah. all the time. And I, I love to I, drink. I think, no, I understand that. But I think that the bigger argument, and this isn't me trying to like sell people on smoking weed. It's more to say that it's annoying when people are so judgmental about it when you realize that people aren't getting in bar fights that are too stoned. People aren't beating up their wives because they're too stoned. People oh, are not, like in the old days, uh, I mean, the Super Bowl had the most domestic violence calls. Alcohol, if it doesn't suit you, can be really dangerous. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things that's happening in college campuses is more girls... Where college girls are vaping Mm. because it's much safer. Mm -hmm. I own the pen. I've agreed to what my what how how stoned I'm going to get. Not just roofied. I'm not going to be overserved. Right. I can't be okay. Let's all do a shot. Let's have another drink. Oh, I'm just going to pour a little bit more vodka in yours. Oh, try this drink. Yeah. I have a limited amount, and that's I'm going to go. And when you start getting too much, you just get sleepy and you go home. Yeah. You're not in the bathroom, you know, I'm hearing crying, this as, texting your ex-boyfriend. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about this business. It sounds um, really exciting, and I'm super not surprised about your success. How did you come up with the name, and where did you get the funding? Is this like a bootstrapped startup? Oh, it's bootstrapped. So I've been very lucky to have a bunch of friends who've all chipped in. Okay. Um, although... How much did you raise? We uh, we'll raised $3.8 million. Okay. And are you in the, you raised already in the seed round? We have a little bit left, but okay. in general, yes. Uh, okay. And we, this is our final raise. We don't need to raise anymore because we're moving to cash positive. We've started signing contracts that makes us positive every month. That's great. Um, so when we, we raised at a 6.5 and now we're valued at 20. Wow. So our investors should be happy because they're three times. That's we think exciting. if we went into open market, and this is from bank analysts, not from us. Yeah. And were people that invested, um, any of them, uh, non-weed smokers? So in our top 10 investors, we have five Republicans, four Democrats, and one independent. So some people use, some people don't use, some people yeah. don't understand weed. And they're still th- investing. Because, well, most people invest in smaller amounts, you know, mm-hmm. not a Madrona investment. Invest in the person. But we've also been very lucky because of the way we've... It took us a while to move it, but at the end of the day, it gave us the room to do, build correctly. Mm-hmm. And with Google, you have to... Uh, Google and our media partners, you have to show consistency, reliability over a period of time. It really worked. And so we probably had about 20% of our investors invest twice. And many of them were on their own. They came and said, okay, I want to put more money in as we're growing. That's a good place to be. Yeah. I'm very, very lucky. And how many employees do you have? Six. And that's spread between Seattle and New York. And then we have freelancers in, in Texas. And Texas. And then we have freelancers all over. That's great. And how much are you working? Oh, only like 14 hours a day. So you're working your ass off. Are you energized by the work? I love it. I love what I do. I love, I'm a builder. Yeah. And it's really fun. So when it, what's the end game? Are you hoping to sell We will sell at the end of 21. We have three companies who are interested. Wow. Who, if we hit certain benchmarks, and just before it comes legalization, we'll sell it to a company who wants to, to jump in the space in a major way. Because we own B2C right now. Yeah. And B2Medical. Yeah. So, and then we'll have the infrastructure for them to own business to business. Wow. That's exciting. And so... Um, what, Although what's funny is I wouldn't say I was a publisher because I'm founder-publisher. It yeah. was hard for me to say publisher until we launched Phase 1 with our partnership in Tribune. 
I know a million people saw us every day, and yeah. I'm like, that's pretty big. You're I don't a publish publisher. Oh, yeah, you're legit. And so is money one of your top three drivers? I love building. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll come away with this money. But, you know, I want, I'm want. i equally as concerned to make sure that all of our investors come away with a great return. Mm-hmm. Because what if I want to do something next? Well, actually, yeah, I know sure. what I'm doing immediately next, and I won't need to raise money can for that. Can we talk about that? No. Okay. Well, when we can, will you come on the podcast again? As you wish, my angel. Okay. Well, that's great. I like that. So you and I met through my friend's brother. You were sitting next to him on an airplane, and uh, he connected us to have lunch because it was like connecting two connectors. And the way that you were described to me was that you were a socialite. What feeling does that give you to know that that's how you're described? Um, Yeah, I'm really... It does make a difference. And, you know, once people know me, they know me. What does a socialite mean? Socialite traditionally is someone who has... Influence. Influence. Okay. Influence and, and also knows all the right people? Influence, knows the right people, tastemaker. Mm-hmm. And so being a socialite while doing work for homeless has been a benefit with the city. Mm-hmm. Because I do have a big network, mm-hmm. and that has been, with elected politicians, a little scare tactic for them. I go to lunches. I love learning. I love being with people. I love going to parties where it's interesting people. Mm-hmm. My, all my friends, well, you know Pat. Yeah. She's always like, why are you going to that party? I'm like, there could be somebody you're interested in. Yeah. So I'm really open to going to stuff because, you know, and I tell this to people who are trying to network, like, I need to get out there and network and get me a client. I'm like, well, you know what? You're always going to be unhappy. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not going to do that. Yeah. I go to a party and I'm like, I want to have one good conversation. Exactly. And if I have that one good conversation and I never do anything with them later... That's okay. Yeah. I said to, um, when we just did our, my, we just had our daughter's bat mitzvah, and it's like when you stand up on the bima and you give the words, it's like, what words do you really want to say to your child? There's so many things that you could pass on, like your grandma and your mom passed on to you. But I did say, I really hope that you continue to be curious because it's just such a quality that I admire. I've, I've dated God or I've, been with guys who <laughs> we, we talked about that. What does that we mean? could be on a plane Dated. and we could we could talk about. I wonder how many seats they have to be on this plane to make it popular. And who, I wonder what type of who do you work for to be able to pick the movies and and you, we we're just curious about all sorts of stuff. Everything. I dated this one guy who had never gone to college. Beautiful six for three, uh, but he was so we could walk down the street and we could talk about a million things. And then I dated a Wall Street Journal executive mm-hmm. who was the exact opposite. Yeah. College educated, huge job. Not curious. Not curious at all. Ever. Yeah. It's very attractive, I think, as a quality. And it also just, to me, it represents endless possibilities because it's the same thing. Like everything that's ever happened in my life has been because I, you know, started with hello. Yeah. And it's like, you never know. If you don't ask, you don't get. If you never know. The yeah. other word that you should always say is grace. Yeah. I love grace. You know, I, 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 you know, now that I'm at past 44, I, um, and I have a hard time from a, a visceral reaction of being around mean people. Mm-hmm. I do too. And so when I travel, I give out candy. Oh, that's sweet. Because I see the abuse that people, the abuse and more, even worse than difference. So you mean every, you give candy to the person sitting next kisses. to you or to the server? So I once mean, I leave a... my house, the candy I give out candy kisses to the Uber driver to check in, to clear at the lounge, um, checking in on the. It's plane, so funny because people nowadays are probably like, "Well, I need they to get all this take tested." It and eat it. 
data right there. I'm eating this right now. And then like today and tomorrow, I'm giving out candy for Valentine's. I give out candy the entire month of December. That's so sweet. In fact, the Gold Frogs gave me a, a necklace with a candy kiss on it. That's really sweet. No pun intended. But, but here's the thing. Is, it really is. It doesn't take much to make someone happy. I agree. Sometimes it's just a smile. Yeah. And if we, if we all did that, the world would be a better place. It would be such a better place. So here's my final question. What ultimately fuels you? Great. What fuels me, I think, is curiosity, kindness, and fun. I love that. Thank you so much. So this has been fun. great. Thank you so much. You are adorable. So fun. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.